This week at Sustainability, Greta is Time's Person of the Year and explains to the world the difference between leadership and misleadership. More investors call for climate action. Legal suits pile up against big oil, and the good and the bad and the sad emerges as COP25 draws to a close in Madrid. All this and more in This Week in Sustainability. Hi, I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm your host of This Week in Sustainability. There's lots of news, so let's get right to it. Normally, we reserve the heavy-hitting words, the most impactful words, for the end of This Week in Sustainability, but not this week. This week, the last words come first, and they're from Greta Thunberg, Time Magazine's and all of humanity's person of the year, decade, perhaps century. Adults, she says, are not leading... They are misleading. The biggest danger is not inaction, Greta told the world at COP25 this week. The real danger is when politicians and CEOs are making it look like real action is happening, when in fact almost nothing is being done, apart, for, apart from some clever accounting and creative PR. Now, at the uh, risk of doing some adult splain, I would add only this to what Greta has said. The beauty of kids is that they don't see barriers, only possibilities. That's why they're so good at figuring out software. They click, make a mistake, click some more, and figure things out. No pain, no fear. Adults ponder, they fiddle, they worry, they bounce. The possibility of making a mistake against our fragile egos and pocketbooks. Kids only see potential and then act. If they could, I bet the climate kids would close Exxon down tomorrow. They would make BlackRock stop investing in fossil fuels and ban plastics equally as fast. They would click those buttons and damn the consequences. And let's face it, that's pretty much where we need to be. Uh, Moving right along, this week in sustainability was wrapped up before COP25 in Madrid drew to a close. This means we can't make a final tally of the good, the sad, and the bad that emerged. So a partial list is going to have to do. Some good. 80 countries representing 10.5% of the global greenhouse gases being emitted into the atmosphere signaled an intention to increase their climate action commitments for 2020. Some bad big emitters like the U.S., China, India, Brazil, and Saudi Arabia are not in this group, though China and India are interested in joining the European Union and announcing more ambitious decarbonization plans. Some sad. There is still nothing close to agreement on Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. That's the bid on establishing a global carbon market, which is seen as key to delivering real carbon reduction gains. Well, what's catching the countries up? Carbon trading rules and carbon counting credits. It's all pretty complex, uh, so the issue is going to be punted a year to COP26 in Glasgow. (laughs) As if we can wait yet another year. If you want to learn more about carbon markets, go to carbonmarketwatch.org for a carbon market 101. Anyways, back to the good and the bad and the sad. Bad. Progress at the summit is being stalled particularly by Brazil, Saudi Arabia, and Australia, amongst other countries. We should take them out back and give them a spanking which are fighting against tougher carbon emission goals and market rules. Why? Well, the Brazilian government, it seems, is intent on trading high-carbon cattle for rainforests. Coal exporters in Australia seem to prefer ashes on the Sydney Opera House over fresh air and a vibrant barrier reef. 
And the Saudis, the Saudi government, well, they're sitting on 20% of the world's oil reserves and will be damned if the sale of Aramco, that's their country's uh, oil giant, they'll be damned if the share value won't top U.S. $2 trillion. Uh, finally, uh, and as my mother always said, finally, a good thing. Let's always end on a good thing. Good! 14 regions, 398 cities, 786 businesses, and 16 investors have targeted net zero emissions for 2050. Look for more on COP25 as it comes to a close. Look for more uh, on this week in sustainability next week. Well, moving on, over 600 institutional investors managing a whopping $37 trillion in assets called this past Monday for governments to step up their efforts against climate change. Well, that's great news, right? Well, maybe, but I want you to focus your attention on two words in that statement, called and government. My question, is it enough to lay all this at the doorstep of government? Well, I can think of one big reason why not and one possible reason why. Let's take the why not first. National governments are thoroughly infiltrated by vested interests with little to no short-term interest in the rapid transition to a zero-carbon economy. They're making money now and they're happy. I call that the Koch brother syndrome. There are so many insidious lobbyists and insiders in most national governments, it's sometimes difficult to tell the difference between an elected official and a corporate shareholder. The Trump-Johnson, that's in the UK, Morrison in Australia, administrations are amongst the most odious examples of vested interests uh, for climate and economic justice perfidy. Even in the kind and gentle Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau recently bought a $4 billion gas pipeline with the right hand while stroking his supposed green credentials with the left. Is it me or all things carbon so schizophrenic? Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, says the United States is in the Paris Agreement at the same time as Trump has taken the country out of it. In Canada, again... We have the oil-producing province of Alberta publicly salivating at exporting more of the most ugly tar sand oil literally the same day as Canada announces a commitment to carbon neutrality by 2050. The European Union similarly celebrated the same zero-carbon goal, minus Poland, of course, while subsidizing oil and gas to the tune of $62 billion a year, or around about $7,500 per person. Even COP25 Summit suffers from the schizophrenic neuroses. Big Oil was a sponsor of the event. Imagine Big Oil hobnobbing with national leaders. Meanwhile, hundreds of indigenous and youth protesters with the most to lose from climate change are kicked out as an enormous Orwellian metal door slams between them and the very misleaders who will decide the fate of their future. Oh, wait, you don't have to imagine that. That's what happened. If there's not a worse metaphor for what's going on in the world these days, I'm not sure what it is. Still, I don't disagree with Big Oil's attendance at COP25. I would have invited them, even given them a special status. The shut up, <clears throat> up and listen status. But I digress. 
I do. I digress. The more optimistic among us might interpret the investors' call, remember we're talking about the investors, their call to government as a carte blanche to force change investors are unwilling or unable to make on their own. Well, think about it. Government could give investors rules that they have to follow so they can't be blamed for any negative return result repercussions. I doubt that's what their call is all about. But investors do need some help to divest from fossil fuels. That is clear because they don't seem to be able to do it on their own. Moreover, and as we reported in This Week in Sustainability last week, Helen Avery's fine Euro Money article showed us that so many of these so-called responsible investors are apt to call their investments green even when they're not. A number of high-profile climate crisis warnings from top legal minds and legal clashes that were surfacing this week. Uh, in Australia, Chris Hayne uh, rebuked corporate directors on their failure to act on climate risk. The former Australian High Court judge said corporate board directors are hiding behind what he calls learned helplessness as an excuse not to act, and then he lashed out at their short-termism. Failure to act, he said, raises the prospect that board members could end up in court and maybe, hopefully, maybe in jail. Australian corporate board members need only look out their windows these days to see the raging ashes of the bushfires caused in part by their inaction. More ominously, climate-busting politicians and CEOs may soon find themselves in the same defendant's box as the butcher of Bosnia, Sblodian Mislovic once did. Instead of facing charges of genocide, however, they're going to be on trial for ecocide, or the willful destruction of the life-sustaining ecosphere. This week, the aptly named international organization Ecocide inched closer to having ecocide declared a crime at the International Criminal Court, or the ICC, in The Hague, uh, when the South Pacific island of Vanuatu, quite appropriately, requested the ICC consider formalizing the crime of ecocide. Now, the ICC currently prosecutes individuals accused of committing four crimes against peace, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, and crimes of aggression. Ecocide would be the fifth crime, and if accepted, it would be a criminal, not a civil offense, and that would carry the threat of prison time. Now, that ought to send the fear down the spines of the fossil fuel executives and the scorched earth politicians like Donald Trump, who are demonstrably responsible for and should be held accountable for material contributions to the climate crisis. In a well worth the read Huffington Post article, Jojo Meta co-founder of Ecoside, called Brazil's far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, the poster boy of Ecoside, and a fine example of why such a law is needed. Uh, do you think this is reasonable? Too much? Well, consider this. Mislovic was convicted for genocide, resulting in the death of over 100,000 of his fellow country persons. Over the coming decade, an estimated 250 climate deaths are predicted, and that's, that's a minimum. And as many as 100 million climate refugees will be created and made homeless. In 2018 alone, 6,000 people died and some 29 million people needed emergency assistance due to extreme weather. Now, this, these are horrible, almost unimaginable human tolls. 
but it'll be nothing compared to the potential loss of life, animal, plant, insect, etc., vital to ecosystems supporting human life, said Meta. Current law is deeply anthropocentric, and our law, our people law, if you will, is much weaker than Mother Nature's, and she's going to be around long after we humans snuff ourselves out with carbon, if that's what we decide to do. So if you want to educate yourself or get involved with Ecocide and their excellent work, go to stopecocide.earth. There's a button. It's called Donate. Click on it. The first one to do it and to donate over $100, we'll get a copy of my book, Invest Like You Give a Damn. The first to donate $50, we'll get some ranting time on This Week in Sustainability. Moving on, this week in uh, sustainability, the Philippines Commission on Human Rights announced that it could hold 47 of the world's largest fossil fuel firms accountable for the damages that they're causing in that country through their contributions to global warming. Well, the announcement ended a three-year investigation and came only days after Typhoon Kamuri hit the Philippines, killing at least 17 and causing the evacuation of over half a million people. Well, this week, Exxon, the U.S. oil giant, was in the news again. It was found not guilty of fraudulently misstating carbon pricing to its shareholders in what the Guardian newspaper called a nearly unprecedented lawsuit. The state of New York took Exxon to court for pricing carbon in all its new projects based on lower costs than what they were reporting to their investors. Now, Exxon is the same company, the very same company that covered up its own late 1970s research showing that their product, oil and gas, was a major cause of climate change. The reason for the not guilty, the state, New York State, did not prove the company deceived investors. As Justice Barry Ostrager noted, the company is in the energy business and the case was about security frauds, not climate change. Uh, Given the stakes, Ostrager uh, may be splitting uh, hairs on his decision or perhaps he portends of justice and judgments to come, noting nothing in his opinion was intended to absolve Exxon from the responsibility for contributing to climate change through the emission of greenhouse gases. Well, the greatest and saddest laugh of Judgment Day was when Exxon's lawyers dared to say, we provide our investors with accurate information on the risks of climate change and that the company did nothing wrong, takes climate change seriously and has no incentive to underestimate its future costs. Well, this was a double down on Rex Tillerson. Remember him? He was the former Exxon CEO and ex-Secretary of State for Donald Trump. Doubling down on his October deposition when he said, we would be misinforming ourselves if we lied to shareholders about the cost of carbon. Really? Well, you can check out a host of big oil articles and references on the sustainablecentury.net. Just search big oil. Over to Africa, Victoria Falls dried to a trickle this week after one of the worst droughts in over a century in and around Zimbabwe. The falls, one of South Africa's biggest tourist attractions, has seen an unprecedented decline in water volumes this dry season, 
fueling climate change fears. We've got a great video on This Week in Sustainability uh, at the sustainablecentury.net. You can check it out there. Anyways, lower volumes are a natural result of seasonal change, but never to the extent that's been seen this year. You got to take a look at the video. It is scary. And this is all because of extreme weather events triggered by the climate crisis. Uh, meanwhile, the other side of the world, some 82,000 inhabitants of the Marshall Islands are recovering this week from high winds and waves a week earlier. Uh, now, this is a real problem for the country, which consists of 29 atolls in five bigger islands, whose highest point is but two meters or seven feet above sea level. Hilda Hein, president of the country, told international leaders at COP25 this week, we are facing death row. Now, if you've ever been on your tippy toes up to your chin in water at the local pool, I think you'll get the idea. It doesn't get any more real than this. Well, that's a wrap for this week in sustainability. But remember, if you aspire to have more sustainability in your life, check out the Sustainable Century Network at thesustainablecentury.net for podcasts and articles and sustainability news, opinion, lifestyle, and do-it-yourself ideas, and a whole heck of a lot more. Also, I want to remind you to listen to the Sustainable Century podcast. Next week, you can listen to the incredible localist and sustainable food expert, Jen DeRose of St. Louis, Missouri. And don't forget to reserve your place for our upcoming webinar, How to Choose a Sustainability-Minded Financial Advisor. You can look for more information this month and early next month on our website, thesustainablecentury.net. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm your host of This Week in Sustainability. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's up to you, it's up to us to make this the sustainable century.